Look at Psalms chapter 41. It says, Blessed is he that considereth the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive. And he shall be blessed upon the earth. And thou wilt not deliver him unto the will of his enemies. The Lord will strengthen him upon the bed of languishing. Thou wilt make all his bed in his sickness. I said, Lord, be merciful unto me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against thee. Mine enemies speak evil of me. When shall he die and his name perish? And if he come to see me, he speaketh vanity. His heart gathereth iniquity to itself. When he goeth abroad, he telleth it. All that hate me whisper together against me. Against me do they devise my hurt. Then evil disease, say they, cleaveth fast unto him. And now that he lieth, he shall rise up no more. Yes, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. Look at these words. But thou, but you, O Lord, be merciful unto me, and raise me up, that I may requite them, or quiet them. By this I know that you favorest me, because mine enemy doth not triumph over me. And as for me, thou upholdest me in mine integrity, and settest me before thy face forever. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting and to everlasting. Amen and amen. Father, we pray that you'd please speak to us through this word. Through this prayer of helplessness, Lord, we ask you that you would just please, Lord, speak to our hearts. Help us, as we said, Lord, we, we tear down and remove any wall, any obstruction that is between our hearts, Lord, and our ears today. Lord, we remove it out of the way. If it's sin, Lord, we confess it now so that we can be ready to hear your word. Lord, if it's sorrow, if it's grief, if it's pain, if it's trouble, we ask you, Lord, to help us as we hear your voice today, calling unto your sheep, calling unto you. Lord, you're calling unto us. We ask you that you just please, Lord, help us to tune our hearts in and tune our ears in to your voice. Lord, speak to us like never before. Lord, help us like never before. Let all church things, all churchiness, all traditions, all religious uh, formalities, all these things that we do fade away right now. Let it not be we've come to church and we've checked it off our list. Let it not be that we've preached a message and we've gone through and we, we stayed true to preaching about prayer. But Lord, let it be that when we leave here, that we know that we've been in the very presence of the Holy Spirit of God. Let it be when we leave here that people are changed and that people are helped. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask this, Lord. We believe this, and hopefully, Lord, that we all pray this together in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you for coming this morning. I know that a lot of people are coming in and out from Thanksgiving and traveling, and still more people are doing that. And, and uh, But last Sunday, I, I wanted to have the services again outside. We may have gotten by with it one more time, but yet maybe rain or something's coming in and the cool weather. Uh, I know if y'all would like to, I'll meet you here tomorrow evening at 7 o'clock if you want to have service with me at like 40 degrees. I'm, I'm all about that kind of thing. But last Sunday we talked about, wasn't it good to be outside last Sunday? We had people all the way from the front where we set up to, to Fred's parking lot and uh, to the back road and stuff. But we've got, um, now things are kind of going a little bit different, getting a little bit cooler and stuff. Y'all really pray about that. Pray about how God's going to allow us to handle certain things. We have enough room for more to come in. Pray for those people that are, uh, we say in the South, skittish. 
Uh, they're just kind of nervous about being around you. I don't know if it's because y'all breathe too heavy on them, but uh, they're just nervous about that. Y'all pray about that. There's the, the church people are inside this world, and although we understand we have faith, we're like that man that brought his son to the Lord that says, Lord, I believe but help mine unbelief, you know, and so we're, we're, we're that. So don't get frustrated or angry with one another. Pray for one another and lift one another up. But last Sunday we talked about the prayer of hope, H-O-L-P, and I know a lot of people went, that's not even a word and you're just making that up. But it's not. It, it's, it's actually the same kind of word, the same terminology carries that Jesus will help us in past, he'll help us in today's need, and there's enough there to help us in the future. And you say, well, why would they even use such a word like that, that he has hope in me? It's the same as Jesus. The Bible teaches us that he's the same yesterday, today, and will be forevermore. And so that same hope of help that we need is there. And this morning, preaching about the prayer of helplessness, hopefully you've been going through our daily prayer time together. If you haven't, uh, you can go on there. You can get a book today if you would like. You can see Miss Candace after service or see me. We can get you one of those prayer guides. If you, have, uh, if you do phone stuff and want to email, that's probably one of the easiest ways you can do it. You you can go to the church website and sign up for that, and you can do it. But this morning as we talk uh, in, or excuse me, as we prayed this morning on day eight, it was about asking and seeking and knocking. You remember? And in that verbiage, it talks about that, that the one who asks should continue asking. The one who seeks should continue on seeking. I, I thought that the story illustration was pretty cool, too, about the little girl who said uh, to her mom, you know, what are you putting on your face? And it was cold cream. And said, why are you doing that? And she says, to make me beautiful. And then minutes later, the mom was wiping it off. And she said, you quitting already? <laughs> you know, kind of like, it's not done yet. And uh, you need to keep doing that. Uh, it would take me forever if I had to wear that stuff to get pretty. But if you look at it, it's talking about keep praying and keep praying. And sometimes we pray when we have this burden we do that. We continue to pray and pray and pray. There's a song that Patty sings that says, Oh Lord, I need help down below lest I stray. Then burdens are lifted away. And sometimes we have to go into our secret place like that song says. And like the psalm, chapter 91, talks about we go under the shadow of the, uh, of the wing of the Most High God, of, of Almighty God, and we, we kind of Get away from everything for a moment. And Jesus often did that. And you remember I shared that with you last Sunday some. But this, this Sunday, this message, the prayer of helplessness, it's one that I, 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 over the summer, I was reading through the Psalms, and this message in Psalm chapter 41 just come up. I, I didn't do the Lord help me out and do like that. But as I was looking through the Psalms, Psalms chapter 41 come up. And there's sometimes you look at these things and uh, man, you could read them for days and days and weeks and weeks and months and months sometimes even. And you're going, all right, Lord, I get all of it. I know it all points to you and our need for you. But then there's other times it just comes out at you like, rah, here I am. You know, like, this is what you need. And like those aha moments and stuff. And um, if you've never been in the situation where you're helpless... Let me define the word helpless for you so that you'll know that you really have been there. It's when you have in a situation or, or, or could be in a situation where your hands are tied behind your back, so to say. In other words, you're in a situation in your life. It may be something that's happened at home. It may be something that's happened at work. It may be something that's happening actually to you, and you're in this place where you're powerless to do anything. You're in the situation where you're powerless to change the circumstance of it, you just kind of are at a place where you, you can't, 
can't do anything and that you desperately need someone to come along. It's the same kind of situation that that one that was in the pit that the, you know, the Pharisee walked by, the priest walked by, but then the Samaritan walked by and helped him out. You're in a place where you can't do anything for yourself. Now, I'm not talking about everyday physical life, stuff like that, although that could apply. I'm talking about like if you've ever been in a situation where something happened and you just look at it and you go, I don't know what I'm going to do. I have no idea how to get through this, how to manage this, or what I should do. And in looking in Psalms chapter 41, we're going to look at the prayer of David. We're going to see that God was there to help him from the past to the present and would be there in the future. But we're going to look at David in this situation like none other chapters in the Bible ever look at David. When we talk about David, we talk about King David. We talk about little ruddy David, as the Bible describes him, that did what? That, that shielded off a lion and killed a lion with his hands and killed a bear with his hands in order to do what? To protect sheep. Who took a rock and slung it inside of a sling and God took it within his hand and slammed it into the forehead of a great giant of Gath, you know, by the name of Goliath and killed him and went over there that day as one of the old Christian comedians says and took his sword and cut his head off and showed everybody he knew how to get ahead in life, right? He did all of those things. And this is David. We're talking about strong, valiant, mighty, warrior man David. But in these verses, we see a few things. First thing that we're going to see in the verses is that David said that in his prayer, he says, God, you consider the poor. God, you're one that considers the poor. Look at verse number one. He says, blessed is he that considereth the poor. It says, blessed is the one that would consider the poor. Now, we could take that scripture and we could go through as fast as we want through to, through our Bibles. We could do our daily Bible reading. We could look at that and we'll go, okay, well, God's trying to teach me that I need to be more giving, that I need to give to the poor, that I need to make sure that during Thanksgiving season that people have a meal to eat or during Christmas season that children have toys and stuff like that because the word poor in our terminology absolutely means uh, of, of less monetary value. They don't have any means of, 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 of possessions or monetary things and stuff. But looking deeper into the scriptures, and I ask you to please, listen, get a Bible that is absolutely word for word translated. That is really good. But listen, if you read other translations, that's also great. But get you a Bible concordance. Get you a Greek lexicon and a Hebrew lexicon. And some of you are lexicon, is that a car? That's not a car. What, what you can do is, is they even have these now if you want to write it down, but an interlinear Bible. And that is where we have the English version on the right side, a parallel Bible, and then on the on the or excuse me on the left side, and on the right side they would have it in the Hebrew or the Greek or Aramaic, and you could see those words. You would absolutely understand that it talks about that for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. You would understand that God gave His only begotten Son because He absolutely loved the world, because that's the way it's written in the original. And you would understand even some deeper things is that that it wasn't just the giving of His Son because of that, but yet he loved the world so much that he gave his son, and he gave his son because he loved the world so much. And I know you go, well, you're splitting hairs on those, th on those things, but you're missing some of the verbiage when you only look in our English translation, especially here in the South. 
In the South, we put together words like yontu and y'all and all this stuff, and we put it all together to where what we've done is we, and then please don't take offense because I say all kinds of country words, but we bring them down to a level and water them down. I don't want to say dumb it up a little bit, but we, we say words all together sometimes, and we miss out on real good, meaningful words. like Words like in the Bible of substitutionary or, or propitiation for your sins, and, and we mark them up in our Bible translations as that just means the sacrifice for our sins, but it means so much more deeper. Propitiation is a word in the Greek that is helestrion that actually means he is the mercy seat for our sins, which takes you to the Ark of the Covenant, which takes you to the empty tomb that he is the one that was there as the angels were looking down. It's an amazing book, but sometimes we need to go to the originals. Did you know that back in the 1480s, around in there, that there was this huge thing called the Greek revival that happened overseas. And they called it ad fontes. And ad fontes means this, to the scriptures, to the originals. Let's all go back to the originals. A man by the name of Desiderius Erasmus. Wouldn't you like to have a name like that? Pastor Desiderius Erasmus. And he was the one that actually sparked up a move of God. Martin Luther was another one that sparked up a move of God that went to the church and he nailed the 95 Thesis on the church doors and said, I have some complaints that are going on with things that you are teaching that are not in the scriptures and we need to get back to the scriptures. And so they had this move called the Greek Revival that was ad fontes, that they were going to the sources. Let's all go back to the main source. And sometimes in scriptures you can miss that. If you look at that verse number one, it says, Blessed is he that considereth the poor. But if you look in the actual text, in the Hebrew text, you would find out that this word poor is the Hebrew word D-A-L or dal, and it means this, the low, the weak, the thin, the one without strength, the one that is dangling or slipping or losing their grip. So if we go back and read that scripture, it says, blessed is he that considereth, that thinks upon, that considers the one who is dangling, the one who is slipping. And losing their grip. The one who is strengthless. That they have no strength at all. That they are weak and that they are low. It totally changes what we understand about this scripture. Because it's no longer dealing with monetary or possessional things. It's dealing with God says or David says in his prayer. Blessed is the one. He says bless the name of God. (laughs) I hope that you get this today. If it takes four hours, I'm going to try to give it to you. Blessed is the name of God. Blessed is my God that considers the one who is dangling by thread. David starts his prayer out saying, God, I do not understand you. I do not understand your ways. I don't understand how you would consider me. You know what David said in other scriptures? He said, Lord, what is man? What is mankind? What is humanity? He said, what is man that thou art mindful of him? He says, Lord, what is man that you would sit down in your high throne, in your seat of glory and majesty? What is mankind and who are we that you, an almighty God, would think about mankind? That you... And all of the things and the thoughts that you could have in your creative power, in your glorious majesty, and in everything that you would sit upon your throne and you would think of me. 
David was shocked by that. I'm shocked by that. Why would God love us so much that his thoughts of his mind would be upon you and I? Of all the things that he could think on, why would he think about us? And David said, blessed, blessed is the one, he that considers the poor. David is saying, Lord, in my prayer, bless your name because you consider me in my weak and in my slipping and in my dangling state that I'm in. You know what the Bible talks about in Psalms chapter 136? Over and over and over in that chapter. It says, Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord of lords for his mercy endureth forever. It says, Who hath remembered me in my low estate for his mercy endureth forever. Over and over and over it says his mercy endures and mercy endures. Although we don't endure, his mercy endures. But he says, God, you even remember me when I'm in my lowest state. Aren't you glad that God is the type of God that didn't forget Jonah when he was at his lowest state? When he went all the way down as far as death could actually bring someone to where he said the bars of death were around him and you know what he's talking about? That rib cage of that animal that he was in that big fish he said you remembered me and Jonah remembered the word of the Lord too David says that God you're a God that considers the slipping and the poor and the strengthless he said the one who's losing their grip did you know that in this time in David's life he's actually losing grip on the kingdom of Israel David, the man after God's own heart. David, the man that was anointed to be king over Israel. David, who was an absolute God pick instead of Saul that was picked by people. He's now losing his grip on the kingdom. You know, David's losing his grip on his family too at this time in this prayer. David is losing everything. But David more so is losing his grip on life. His life is fading before him. He says, Lord, you consider the poor. The second thing he says is, Lord, that you preserve the one that's troubled. The one that's troubled, he says, the Lord, L-O-R-D, all in caps, talking about the Jehovah God will preserve him and keep him alive, and he shall be blessed upon the earth, and thou wilt not deliver him unto the will of his enemies. He said, Lord, you will preserve him and keep him alive. We understand. I, I like to listen to David Jeremiah. I don't know if you listen to David Jeremiah or not, but I love to listen to him during the week. A lot of times when I'm getting on the school bus, he's he's going and he's preaching and stuff. And Brother David Jeremiah has understood the, the highs and the lows in life. He's understood that he preaches the word of God and his church, Shadow Mountain Church, is just full of thousands of people and stuff. He understands what it's like also to get a doctor's report to where he has cancer and he's battling with cancer and he's gone from the high to the low to the low to the high. And the roller coaster of life has been exactly the same for him as it has been for you and I. 
And David Jeremiah was talking a couple of weeks ago about salt. He was talking about that we understand what salt does. And while we may want to add certain things that it does today, he said, you know, in their time, just as well as ours, it did mainly two things. Number one, it was a preservative. It preserved their meat. It kept things together. And he was using this same kind of phrase right here. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive. It means that God will be there to make sure and to help keep him alive. It it carries this kind of word picture where we see God at the bedside of David right now and that God is an acting nurse and that he's making sure that the vital signs are good. If the blood pressure goes up, then, then God is applying the certain need to bring it down. If the, if the heart rate is going up, then God is applying the, the special healing to bring it, bring, it, uh, bring it up and that God's constantly beside the bedside. He said, you will preserve him. And when he's about to fade away, he's like, you'll do CPR, you'll bring him back, you'll preserve him and you will keep him alive. But we also know that salt does another thing. What's the other thing that salt does? Flavor. I mean, that's what we do. You, you walk around during Thanksgiving, and, and you may offend some people. You need to be careful when you do this. But you sit down to a meal, and you go, hey, anybody got any salt? Some people might get offended by that because they cooked it to the right recipe. But you know what it does. It's like David Jeremiah said. He said, you know, I love corn on the cob. He said, but I can't eat corn on the cob unless I have salt. Now, me, I'd rather have the salt in the butter that I'm going to put on mine, right? But he said, I need the salt. He said, but when you get through eating it, no one sets it down and says, that is the absolute best salt I've ever eaten. He said, no, you say that is the best corn on the cob ever. Why? Because what the salt does to that, it enhances the flavor of it all to bring out the flavor of that corn. And God is that wonderful, as we are the salt of the earth, God is also that wonderful provider and the one that also enhances our lives. And David says, Lord, you remember me when I'm dangling and I'm poor. He says, but you also, you preserve me. That you're there, that Lord, you are the enhancement of my life. And basically David is saying in this prayer, Lord, if I don't have you, I don't have anything. If I don't have you, then my life is empty and my life is death. Because David was troubled. Look at what he says, the Lord will preserve him and keep him alive and he shall be blessed upon the earth and I will not deliver him unto the will of his enemies. You say, what kind of trouble could David have had during this time in his life? Well, if we look, we'll find out. Let's look at David's troubles. Look with me at verse number 5. The Bible says, Mine enemies speak evil of me. When shall he die and his name shall perish? This is David. This is not King Saul. This is not, you know, uh, Rehoboam. You know, where they're evil kings and, and all these others. This is David. I mean, you go to Israel today and you'll see every single, you'll see the Tower of David. You'll hear about David over and over and over from the Israelites. Why? Because as one commentator put it, John Phillips, he said David was the king that took 12 ruddy little tribes and helped make them into the nation of Israel. Now, we know that God did that, but God chose to use David to do it through. Amen. This is David, and look at what David says in verse 5. He says, my enemies speak evil of me. When's he going to die? And when will we never hear his name again? Do you know what this is like? This is exactly what they said about Jesus. They said the same thing. When is he, you know, we need to get rid of him and we need to kill him and his name needs to perish with him. David is is not only is he sick on a bed of sickness, but the Bible says that David is troubled in his heart. And how horrible it is to not only be physically sick, 
but to be emotionally and spiritually and soulfully sick. David said, my enemies are talking about me. And they're asking, when's it going to be finished? I hope he dies soon. Just get him out of here and let's erase his name from everything. Look at David's other trouble. Look at verse 6. And if he come to see me, he speaketh vanity. His heart gathereth iniquity to itself. When he goeth abroad, he telleth it. Now you think, well, this, when he comes to see me and he speaks vanity and he goes out, maybe this is, maybe this is one of David's guards or something like that. Maybe this is one of David's right-hand men, like maybe Joab, the captain of the guards and stuff. But if you look at it closer, you'll see it says, and if he come to see me. See, David committed a horrible sin. And when I say horrible sin, please don't think that David's sin is greater than what yours is because sin is sin no matter what. There's no big sin and little sin. There's no white lies and big fat lies. They're all lies is all they are. And Satan convinces us that one sin is lesser than the other and therefore we don't need as much grace in order to ask for forgiveness. But we need the exact same amount of grace and mercy to ask for forgiveness. But in David's life, he was called to be a warrior of God, a king that was a warrior of God. And he was told to go out to war. And the Bible says, and when it came time for the kings to go unto war, that David stayed home. David was being lazy. And when he was being lazy, he found himself to have an idle mind. And as he was idle and not doing what God called him to do, he was on the rooftop. And not only did his mind wander, but his eyes started wandering. And we know that it fell upon Bathsheba as she took a bath. How about that? We won't ever forget Bathsheba. Bathsheba, bath lady, we won't forget that ever. But we know what happened. He lusted. He was lazy, but he lusted. And he called her up, and he had an affair with this woman. She conceived the child, and what did David do? David tried to get her husband to come back from war and to go down to the house to be with her, and he even caused him to be drunk with wine in order to do something foolish so that he would forget about it. And David kept trying to sweep this sin underneath the rug and to get it out, to get it away from him, and so that no one would know how bad, and what he, how bad he was and what he had done. But always, listen to me, everybody's watching. Everyone in your family are watching. And David's little child that Bathsheba conceived died. Seven days, I think, six or seven days after it was birthed, it died. But David's house was tormented. David's whole house was flipped upside down and inside out. David had a boy by the name of Absalom. He had another son by the name of Amnon. And he had a daughter by the name of Tamar. Tamar was a beautiful young virgin woman that actually wore a veil of colors and colored a veil upon her because it was to bring glory to her pureness and keeping herself for her husband. The Bible teaches us that what happened to David's family was is that Amnon fell in love with his sister and he sought counsel from his cousin Jonadab. And you always get in trouble when you consult your cousins to do something. <laughs> And so Jonadab came and said, why don't you lay in the bed like you're sick? 
And she'll bring you a cake and tell your dad that you need her to make something for you. And the Bible says that when she came in, listened to the sins of this man, he grabbed hold of her and forced her to be with him. And the other brother by the name of Absalom was so mad about it and so angry about it, he said, I'm going to get him. And he eventually killed his own brother. And then Absalom evidently had the good looks and the charm that his daddy had and he began to go against his own dad's kingdom. And he began to steal his girlfriends, his concubines, his wives, even to the point to where he had 300 of them and had received from David. And you say, I wonder why he would do that. Because he knew if he could listen to what they knew about David and his weaknesses, that he could have something against his dad. Now listen to David's prayer. David says, and if he comes see me. What's a father's wish? What's a father's wish when they're sick, when they're hurting? Just somebody to call, come by and to see me. And you can hear David's grief in his heart. And he says, and if he comes to see me, he said he speaks vanity. If Absalom comes in, the words that he says to me are empty. They're so empty. Can you hear Absalom as he's walking up the stairs, the corridor, coming into the king's palace, to the king's room, and all of the servants are greeting Absalom and saying hello, and you hear the voice of Absalom, and maybe David lying there on his bed of sickness, bed of dangling, almost dying, and he hears the voice of his son Absalom coming, and he's probably hoping, just like many of you dads have hoped in your lives before, maybe this time he's different, maybe this time he's changed, maybe this time he's gotten things right, maybe this time he wants to talk to me and he says and if he come to see me he speaks vanity his words are empty all his heart is doing is gathering iniquity against itself he said he's just coming in to find out how sick I am with every cough can't you see Absalom's face with every sneeze with every groan and moan of pain from David can't you see Absalom's face dad are you feeling bad Dad, are you sick? Because you know why? Get dad out of the way, and I get all this stuff. And I don't have to fight him for it. He'll just die off. He said he speaks vanity. He said, and then when he leaves the chambers, he goes out and tells it abroad. He's going out and telling everybody. And you say, what was going on? The Bible teaches us that Absalom, as he was taking all of the wives and trying to get the kingdom, that Absalom was going to the people saying, why isn't David, my father, coming out, your king, coming out and speaking to you? Because the king would be approached daily by commoners that would come and they would ask questions. They would need advice. They would need help. And Absalom was going many times in the book of, uh, of Samuel and, and, and 2 Samuel was going, Hey, why isn't, any of, why isn't David coming out to speak to you all? Why doesn't the king come and address you all? I tell you what, that I will come and address you all and I will speak and do all these things. And you can see that Absalom is sneaking and conniving. And David is just listening. You say, Brother Steve, why didn't David just go, go on, Absalom. Why, just get out of here and don't ever come see me again. Because <laughs> that's not what the heart of a true father would do. Right. Did you know that when Absalom died, did you know that Joab said, we know exactly where he's at? And this is the crazy thing about it. He said he was riding on the back of the horse and his flowing hair, got. that's why I keep mine trimmed got caught in the bow of an oak tree, in the fork of an oak tree, got caught by the hair, right? 
Keep it short, fellas. I'm telling you, you'll never go wrong. Amen. Joab came back, and you know what David said? David said, don't do the lad any harm. Amen. Of all that Absalom did to his daddy, David said, don't hurt my son. But Joab, remember, he was the one that sent the letter by Uriah that he would be killed. You know what Joab did? Joab saw him caught in the thick of that bow, and he took out uh, arrows, and he thrust three of them into the heart of, of uh, Absalom. And in one chapter of the Bible, David says five times, O oh, Absalom, my son, my son, O oh, Absalom, would God that I had died instead of thee. He said, O oh, Absalom, over and over he loved him, but he says when he comes to see me, he speaks vanity. You say you got troubles, and some of us may have troubles like David had, and you may feel helpless in the situation, and you go, I don't know what I'm going to do about my daughter or my son or my mom or my dad or my brother or my sister, and you may feel helpless. Listen, David had more troubles. The Bible says in verse number 7, it says, All that hate me whisper together against me. Against me do they devise my hurt. As Absalom walks out of the chambers, it's even those people that are standing guard around the body of David that he says they're all standing out there in the hallways and they're whispering about my death. They're all consulting what's going to happen to me. And listen to what they say about David in verse 8. They say an evil disease Say they cleaveth fast unto him. And now that he's lying down, he will rise up no more. <coughs> they said, <coughs> excuse me, an evil disease he's got. You know what those words there in the Hebrew about an evil disease means? They said he is afflicted by Belial. You say, what is that? He is afflicted by the devil himself. You know what they're saying? You say it all the time. None of you say he's got an evil disease or he's... A, no, no one today goes in and goes, he's afflicted by Belial. But you say it all the time. <clears throat> he's made his bed. Let him lie in it. She made her bed. Let him lie in it. That's exactly what they're saying. They're saying what's happened to David, the reason he is on that bed of death and sickness right now is because of what he's done wrong. The whole kingdom knew what David did, Bathsheba. The whole kingdom knew what was going on. Ahithophel, the father of Bathsheba, they all knew everything that was going on. And they said, and they whispered among themselves, he is suffering from Satan what he has already done by Satan. He's getting what he deserves. And he says, Yes, my own familiar friend in whom I trusted which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. You know what he's going to now? He said, even Ahithophel, the father of Bathsheba, my father-in-law, who I married Bathsheba and brought her into my home, who was a friend to me, and eats of my own bread, now even he has lifted up his heel against me. Did you know that he was one that was trying his best to stomp David out also? After all this stuff started happening, listen to David's suffering. He says, but you, O Lord, be merciful unto me and raise me up that I may requite them. By this I know that thou favorest me because mine enemy doth not triumph over me. 
As for me, thou upholdest me in mine integrity and settest me before thy face forever. He said, O Lord, be merciful unto me and raise me up. Look what he says, that I may requit them, that I may come back, that they may get what they deserve. Lord, do this and stop for a moment. Listen, I know you may not have a whole lot of time today, but stop for a moment right here. So many times preachers have said things that were not accurate and not biblically true. I have heard many times throughout my life about that you in your prayers, that you are not to question God, that you are not to ask Him certain things and to do this. And there's nowhere in the Scriptures that teach us not to do that. People go, well, Job, all the things that Job suffered was far worse than what David suffered, and Job never questioned God. He never asked God. That is not correct. You didn't read all of Job. Job, in chapter 2, it says that in all these things, Job charged not God foolishly. And that means this, that in all the things that Job suffered, he never blamed God foolishly, that it was God's fault that it was all happening to him. But Job said in his book, Lord, was I born to go through this suffering? Was I born and conceived of my mother and birthed by my mother in order to go through all of these things and lose all of this stuff? Job even said at one time, he said, it would be better that I am dead than to have gone through all of this. And you say, why would, why would those things be in there? It's no different than that last line that's in this prayer. The last line that's in this prayer is to show the humanity and the flesh of David. He said, Lord... They say I'll never rise up out of my bed again. He's lying down and he's so sick that he'll never stand up again. He said, but Lord, be merciful unto me and raise me back up. Let me stand back up. And he says this in his prayer so that I can give them what they've given to me. Now we understand that some of this happened, but the only reason is because what the New Testament teaches us. Vengeance belongs unto the Lord saith my God. God says that it's not yours to get vengeance. He said, I will give unto them what they have done unto you. I will do all of those things. Not us that do them, but David in his prayer. If you look at this, really listen. David is being fleshly in his prayer and he's saying, God, he's so hurt and he's so broken and he's so sick and he's so spiritually and soulfully broken. He says, God, give them back what they give to me. And listen, before you get all super spiritual on me and throw me those wonderful eyes that you throw, I'm sure that there have been times in your life that you have said, God, why do they have all this and I have nothing? Nothing. Why am I walking this way? And they, they, Lord, why, why is this? And listen, you're all right. Don't get all upset when I say this. You prayed this prayer, Lord, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? I have to tell you. That is absolutely, according to the Scriptures, okay to pray. People go, well, I'm just mad at the Lord. And you know what I tell them in my nice way? I say, he can handle that. Well, I, I just got so many questions. I go, he can handle that. Your prayer this morning on day eight of our praying together was asking, seeking, knocking, and he used the illustration. He says, listen, what father of yours that if you ask for a fish that he would give a serpent? He said, no father in their right mind would do something like that. Or if you ask for bread, they'd give you a rock. He said, if your earthly fathers know how to do good, he said, how much more does your heavenly father know? And how many of you have sat down with your earthly fathers and your mothers and you've poured out your heart unto them in anger and in confusion and in questions 
and you go, I don't know why this is happening to me. I don't know why this is going on and, and I don't know why I'm going through this. And they look at you tenderly and lovingly and they say, you're going to get through it. You're going to get through it. How much more, if they can do that, how much more will God do it? See, it's wrong for us to say that. If He is our Father, <laughs> He understands everything about us. And if He is labeled Father, Abba, then we can bring Him everything. And we can talk to Him normally. See, the problem is this, is that you think prayer is a formula, and if you don't start in this way, that God's not going to hear you. It's the same way as this. When I stand over here and talk to you, brother, and I say, the Lord loves you, and I'm sharing all that with you, <clears throat> I have preacher friends that think that if you talk this way to people down here, it's got to be different when you get up here. You know, I go, go over here and I share, you know, 1 John 1 and 9 with them and, and just be just as normal and plain. But then when I get up here, if you would take your blessed book and turn to John, 1 John chapter number 1. You know, Jesus. You don't have to change the way you talk to God. He doesn't want you to be like Adrian Rogers with that prince of voice and speaking. He wants me to be Steve. He wants me to come to him and lay it out and talk to him and say, God, I have no idea what I'm going to do. I have no idea why I'm going through this. I have no idea why it hurts so bad. I don't know why I'm walking through this valley. I don't know why, God, you're so good to me that you would allow me to walk on the mountaintop. He says, Lord, I'm just going to be myself. And David says, out of his own sickness, he says, Lord, let me raise up so that I can requit them and I can give it back to them. Sometimes we pray things that God helps us to see that we really shouldn't pray, but it's out of our flesh. God didn't rebuke him. Thank God he didn't rebuke him. But he allowed him to speak. And he allowed him to speak out. Even Jesus on the cross, Eli, Eli, Lama, Sabachanathi, what did he say? He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Knowing the whole time that God never forsook him. You say, how do you know that God didn't forsake him? If he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, he's not going to leave his son either. Because David declared, he said, thou didst not leave thy holy one in the grave. Amen. He didn't leave him. It's good this morning. Listen to this. He strengthens the one that's fading. He gives strength to the one that's dangling or fading. Look what he says. The Lord will strengthen him upon the bed of languishing. Strengthen him upon the bed of languishing. You look at that scripture and you go, okay, maybe, maybe some of our translations translate it this way, that, that he will give strength to the one on his bed of suffering. But the real Hebrew word there is a little bit different. The Hebrew word there is D-E-V-O-Y, uh, -E devoy. And it actually means this. It means he will strengthen him upon his bed of loathing or sorrowfulness or fading in death. De David was literally dying. Something in this passage tells us that David was on a bed of sickness, that he was on his deathbed. David was dying out. He was fading like a flower. And the example that's used there is the same kind of example of, of spoiled meat or rotten and rotting meat. <clears throat> I, I always preach and use, sometimes I use food as an illustration and people go, man, I'm just starving. You're not going to be hungry today after what I'm about to say. Yeah. You ever go in the house sometimes and go, what is that smell? And you look at your kids and go, is that you? You know? 
And all of a sudden, the wife or husband remembers, they go, oh, no, that pack of meat that we had, we threw it out in the garbage, and the garbage is still in, in the house. Anybody ever have that happen before? And, and glad bags and gain can't get rid of the smell. It's nasty. It's the smell of rottening meat. And that word languishing, sometimes we take words out that really we need to find a deeper meaning of. And that word languishing means that. David says, you will strengthen the one who is on their bed of rottening. They're rottening. They're they're decaying. They're they're like spoiled meat. Now, when we at our house we go into the freezer and stuff, if it's a day past expiration, Patty's like, throw it out, it'll kill us all, you know. And I'm like, I think we got a week, you know, we got some grace period in there. So she's like, throw it out. We don't want any of it and stuff. And you throw that meat out and it's just there, it's rotten and flies and nastiness. No one, no one in their right mind, and I always have to say it that way, but no one in their right mind will pick that rotten meat up, wash it off and go, you know what, I think it's still good. No one in their right mind with flies all over it, rottening out. It's turned gray and nasty and darkening. We'll go, let's wash it off and make some meatloaf. I promise you, nobody will eat meatloaf today. I've already told them in the first service, and no one's going to Cracker Barrel to get that today. No one would do that. You know why? Once it's gotten to that point, we can't change it. Once it has gotten to that point, we can't fix it. We can't reverse it. We, we, we really can't. I mean, you can pray over it all you want to. You're still going to get some kind of E. coli, some kind of something wrong. You, you can lay hands on it and do all that, but you better wash those hands after you lay hands on it. It's not coming back. But David says, you, Lord, capital L-O-R-D, all caps, you, Jehovah God, only you can strengthen the one that is on their bed of languishing. Only God can take a life that seems like it is rottening away and that it is putrefying because it is absolutely in death and in sin. He says, you, God, can give strength to that. Amen? You know, your granny or your great-granny or anybody, they can't come over and go, dead meat, live. Ah, they say, throw it out. That's what they were saying about David. When's he going to die? Throw him out, God. Get rid of him, God. But David says in his prayer, but God, you, you can strengthen the one that's on his bed of languishing. You can restore back. And not if you go read Psalms 51 and 55 today when you go home, you'll understand. He said, restore the joy of thy salvation. He said, create in me a new heart and a new and upright spirit. He said, Lord, wash me and I shall be white as snow. Purge me. He did all of those things. And what he was saying is that only God can do that. Why? Because God hears the prayers of sinners. God hears our prayer. Now, you may label yourself, receive, I'm not a sinner anymore. I'm a child of God. And I agree with you that there is therefore no condemnation to all of us that are in Christ Jesus. The power of sin, or excuse me, the penalty of sin has no effect on us anymore. If we're saved, we're going to be with him someday. But your nature is to do wrong. My nature is to do wrong. We are bent more toward doing the wrong thing. And David was that person. But thank God that God hears the prayers of sinners. Look at what David said. The reason he was on his bed. Look at verse number 4. He said, I will say, or I said, Lord, be merciful unto me and heal my soul, for I have sinned against thee. 
David is on this bed dying. And he says, the reason that I need you and the reason that I need healing in my soul is because I've sinned. You know, how many of us, we would look at things and go, I don't know why I'm on this. I don't know why I'm going through this. I don't know all these things. But David says, I know exactly why I'm going through what I'm going through. David said, God, my sin is ever before me. And whatever it was that was happening in David's life, listen, this is the most important thing. Whatever it was that was going on in David's life at that time took him all the way from that spiritual sinfulness all the way to that he had this bodily sickness. David said things like, my sin is ever before me. David, was, David in the Psalms would say things like, <clears throat> it's constantly there. When I, when I want, you know, look over here, there's my sin, and there's my sin. And, and David was like, I can't get rid of it. And there's many people that come to church and that listen and watch online and stuff that you're exactly the same way. It seems like you can't shake it off. You can't get it away from you. And it's constantly always there. You're like Paul when you would do good. You find that evil is present with you. The things that you don't want to do, that's what you end up doing. And things that you do want to do, that you don't do those things. Anybody in here listening and understand what I'm talking about? Our, our nature, our flesh is bent toward that. That's why God put the Holy Spirit inside of us to help us. Because the flesh is so weak that in our spirit we needed the Holy Spirit to help us to what? To faithfully follow him. Don't you think it's absolutely goofy and just really dumb to pray this kind of prayer? Lord, help me serve you. Why do we have to ask him for help to serve him? We should just serve him. The reason is, is because we can't do right. The flesh is very weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is indeed weak. And Paul, I mean, David said this. He said, Lord, I need your mercy in this situation. I need you to heal my soul. He said, for I've sinned against thee. Here's the last thing. He does this. He turns the bed of the sick. It, It says he considers the poor, the one that is dangling, the one who is fading. He preserves the troubled. He talks about David's trouble, but then he says he strengthens the ones that are fading. He hears us when we call out in forgiveness. But it says he turns the bed of the sick. Now you look that, the scripture actually says this. Look at verse number three. It says, the Lord will strengthen him upon the bed of languishing. Thou wilt make all his bed in his sickness. Make all his bed. And you look at that and you go, okay, what does that mean? That means whenever David was able to get up, that God would come along like a mommy or a daddy does and going to make your bed for you. That's not what it's talking about. That's not what it means. And it doesn't mean that you'll be compassionate at his side and stuff. Listen real closely. We're going to go, I promise, we'll get out of here, but pay attention to this part. This is the most important part. Months and months ago, I was reading the Psalms, and boom, that pops out. That will make his bed in all of his sickness. That's not what it means. There's a Hebrew word, and it's hafak. Hafak. And you say, what is that? And it means to turn over, to change out, or to change over. You say, what does that mean? Listen, don't let the devil get in your mind right now. Pay attention and listen to what the Spirit of God is trying to show us. It means that God will come in and turn the bed to change over, to change out. And some people really can't grasp a hold of it. And so, Jacob, come here, buddy. 
<clears throat> Lay down right there. <clears throat> what it means is, is that God comes by, and he's like the nurse that is attending to your bedside, and he's checking vitals because not only are you sick physically, but sin sick also. This is what David was going through. And David is praying and he's saying, God, this is the way you've treated me. What is man that you're mindful of him? You consider the dangling one. David is on his deathbed dangling, Brother Heath. And he says, God, you consider me. When you could just say, just go ahead and die. And I'll just take, receive you home. Just go ahead and die. He says, God, why would you consider me? Why would your thoughts be on me? He says, you consider the poor, the dangling one, the weak one, one without strength. Then he turns around and he says that you also preserve the one that's troubled. And you say, what do you mean? It's like being by the bedside and that person in the middle of the night because of their pain. Are you listening? Because of their pain. They wake up and go, oh, oh. And what happens is a nurse comes in, are you okay? Are you okay? And they go, oh, no, the, the blood pressure's dropping. And the blood pressure drops. And so we give them medication. We treat that. We preserve them. Keep them alive. And then we come back. And then all of a sudden, oh, and it, there's all kinds of other things. Oh, no. Oh, no, the blood pressure is rising or the, or the heart rhythm or, or something's going on. Oh, no. Oh, no. And then we go to the point where it says you preserve me and keep me alive is what he said. To where even the point where God comes and does CPR just so that you'd stay alive. And that God's preserving you. But this last part is the greatest part of all. He says that you will strengthen him upon his bed of languishing. In other words, God, you are the perfect healer. And Lord, even though David is in his sin, you will strengthen him. You will help him. And it says you will make all his bed. You say, what does that mean? It means that God comes in and cradles him and pulls him up in order to reach out. And to grab a pillow, you need to listen. In order to bring them back down and to make sure that they're okay and that they're, they're comforted. And as they're comforted on that bed, and this is the bed that he made. He did this. God didn't do it. He did it because of his sin. That's why he's in the shape he's in. But God is so loving. He is so compassionate that he comes along and he says, I don't want them to get bed sores because of their sin. I don't want them to suffer. And he brings it and he makes his bed. Amen. He turns his bed. In all of his sickness, he says he turns all of the bed. And what that means is is this, is that when that patient says, I don't know, I don't know if I'll rise again, then God comes in and says, let's elevate the feet to get the blood circulation higher. So that they will be able to stand again. Are you listening? It means that he comes by. He turns the bed. You will never, ever, ever find a God. You can search this whole world. You will never find a God that will do that for you. Other than the Lord God. You'll never find another one. No. They'd rather take you out and kill you. They'd rather get rid of you. But you'll never find a God that will do that for us. But we have that God. That he will apply a cold cloth when we have a fever. That he will apply medication in order to do what? Look back. I think it was verse number four. 
He said, Lord, heal my soul. David didn't say, heal my body. He didn't. Because he knew that there was a greater healing that needed to take place. Heal my soul. And How are you going to have your soul healed? For I have sinned against you. That's what the Bible says. David said in my prayer, I've learned that you are compassionate in your consideration to the weak and to the dangling. That you will preserve and give life to the one who is troubled. That you will strengthen those who are fading on their bed of languishing. And that you will heal anyone who calls out for forgiveness. What a prayer. If you look at it at the beginning, it may have seemed like a prayer of a helpless person. But thank God it was not a prayer of a hopeless person. We have the help we need. You can talk to him just as easy as you talk to me or to your friend. You can confess to him and he will not beat you for it. You say, how do you know that? Because his son has already taken the beating. If you are holding on to this sin like we do, we do. You're holding on to this sin. He says that he comes by to make sure that that sin doesn't fully destroy you. And he will turn your bed until you finally say, God, forgive me. Man, that's a God. There's no God like our God. Lord, we thank you for the time that we get to have. Thank you for the word that you speak to us.